Happy New Year, listeners. It's episode 198 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and the Cincinnati Bengals season is over. Find out what changes will be made in the jungle and the upcoming 2021 draft. Plus, college basketball still alive in the Sunday area. Find out how the six Division I teams are faring from Northern Kentucky up to Wright State. Local sports, it's not on Wing, it's not on WNE, it's on the local Sunday Sports Podcast, episode 198. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County. From Richmond, Indiana and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region, to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tee Public and Redbubble shops and find the latest episodes, please visit sindaypod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. The year is 2021, and local radio still doesn't talk about local sports enough. But there's one savior, and it's this podcast. I have no idea why I went sci-fi to uh, kick off that segment, but there you go. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. This is episode 198, and our first of 2021. Well, welcome you into the new year. And like I mentioned, we're talking a lot of Bengals and college basketball. And then possibly what to look forward to in 2021, because there is news on the Dayton Dragons front. By Dayton Dragons front, I mean minor league baseball, but hey, Dayton Dragons happen to be a part of minor league baseball. We'll start with NFL. Everything is done the regular season, and you know we have our teams that are going to be in the postseason. No, the Bengals are not one of them. And for the first time since 2002, the Cleveland Browns are in the playoffs. Actually, Sunday afternoon, after the Browns beating the Steelers by two, the Steelers' backups, I mean, I got uh, two tweets saying, how'd you like that game? It's like, oh, yeah, I like the game I just worked. Does that count? And it's like, yeah, that's totally the game I've talked about. But uh, no, uh, all seriousness, I do realize I have been uh, tough, uh, a touch brass about the Browns these last few weeks, and I don't mean to come off like that. I do apologize. Congrats to Cleveland and the fans that do deserve it. But the main reason why we don't, you know, talk too positively about the Browns on this podcast is you got wing for that. You know, Browns rule, Bengals drool. That's pretty much the key format on fourteen ten. And if the Bengals do well, then. Pfft, what the other team do that sucked so bad. So that's why. So seriousness, congratulations. But also, you got the Steelers again, and they're going to be close to full strength. So good luck there. So let's talk about the upcoming playoffs, Week 18 of football. Mm-mm. And the 2020 wild card will consist of the following six games. Remember, there's seven teams in the NFL and AFL making the. Hey, no, excuse me. 
NFC, AFC. <laughs> For a second there, there was an American Football League. I apologize. Anyway, six games and seven teams make the playoffs in the NFC and AFC. We'll start off with the Saturday wildcard games. The January 9th games start off at 105 on CBS as the 11-5 Indianapolis Colts travel to the 13-3 Buffalo Bills. At 4.40 on Fox, it's the 10-6 Los Angeles Rams of Los Angeles visiting the Seattle Seahawks, who finished 12-4 in the season. And then at 8.15 on NBC this Saturday, you got the 11-5 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. First time since 2003 Tampa Bay's made the playoffs. It's been a while down there for the Bucs. And they'll take on the football team, 7-9. Normally, this is a time where you can shout at me. He's like, what football team? There's several. It's like, yes, I know. But this is the Washington football team. They won what is called the tank division by urinating tree. You know, the NFC East. And it turns out that Dallas and the New York Giants got eliminated thanks to Washington's win against Philadelphia. Man, if you haven't read up on that game, whew. <laughs> when you accuse a team of tanking, it's, it's pretty serious. So let's talk about Sunday's games, January 10th. We start off at ESPN on 105 as the 11-5 Baltimore Ravens will visit the 11-5 Tennessee Titans. At 440 on CBS, the New Orleans Saints 12-4 will welcome in the 8-8 Chicago Bears. It looked like with Chicago's loss to Green Bay, they weren't getting in, but Arizona couldn't beat the Rams, so therefore it's the Chicago Bears at the New Orleans Saints. And then at 8.15 on NBC is Sunday, it's the 12-4 Pittsburgh Steelers. One of those four losses was to the Bengals on Monday Night Football, don't forget. Against the 11-5 Cleveland Browns, but Cleveland will be without their head coach, Kevin Stefanski, which I think, yeah, I, I definitely throw him in the running for coach of the year. But ben, Big Ben back, let's see how the Steelers do. Still, Steelers don't really have a running game, whereas Cleveland... It seems like they've forgotten their running game, so we'll see how we'll see what happens. It should be a good one, and yeah, that's your six games for Wild Card. Weirdly enough, I thought there were supposed to be games on Nickelodeon of all places. <laughs> the losing team gets slimed. No, I uh, like I said, that's the channels you got: two on CBS, two on NBC, one on Fox, and one on ESPN. Which is weird to think. Football on ESPN. Oh, well. But there you go. The Bengals are not part of the playoffs, as you can tell. And that last game, we're going to brush up on because... Rough day at the office. Uh, what did I see? I saw that in Zach Taylor's tenure with Cincinnati. Baltimore's outscored the Bengals. Something fiercely silly. It's like... 130-something to, like, 20-something? It's bad. It's not good. I don't remember the exact number who tweeted it, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not good. So, the Bengals will finish 4-11-1 on the season. Yes, two wins and one tie better than last year. But, at the same time, you had quite possibly what would have been the Rookie of the Year in Joe Burrow getting hurt. At Washington, which apparently, according to, I believe, Cincy Jungle is where I saw it. Joe Burrow is coming back to Cincinnati to finish up rehab. So, yeah, you can put up the meme where the Bengals are squidward watching SpongeBob and Patrick, which would be Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland, 
celebrating the playoffs and the Bengals, the only one in the AFC North, not celebrating the playoffs. Also, this year, the New England Patriots aren't, but they uh, took it out on the New York Jets. And next year's going to be really interesting because it looks like Cam Newton won't be back in New England. So that means AFC South has two teams in Tennessee and Indianapolis, AFC East and AFC West with one, Buffalo and Kansas City, Kansas City being the top AFC team and the home field advantage going to the Chiefs. And then AFC North's got the three teams. So there you go. In case you're wondering about the NFC, two for the West, two for the South, one for the East, one for the North. And that's your playoff teams. Again, we're talking more about the Bengals. The Baltimore Ravens ran over Cincinnati. It was so depressing that I don't even want to look at the stats, but I suppose because we talk about local Sunday sports. We celebrate the good. We celebrate the bad. We celebrate the ugly. You could put this loss by Cincinnati in the good and ugly category. And, yeah, I just uh, I don't want wild card anymore. Give me week 17. We're talking about that brutal loss to end the season. Baltimore won it 38-3. And Baltimore improved to 11-5. 404 yards is a franchise record by the Ravens as well. Yeah, that, uh, that was not a great game by the Bengals. Just one field goal happened in the second quarter. And what could be possibly A.J. Green's last game in Cincinnati, which it's heartbreaking to think. He I, I think, you know, he broke Chad Johnson's record, so, you know, he's definitely a lead. But the injuries have definitely hampered him as of late in the last few years. So let's talk about the Bengals' stats. I'm already depressed looking at him. <laughs> I can tell you Lamar Jackson had himself a day, 113 yards in the air, eight, uh, 18 attempts, 10 completions for... 113 yards, one interception, three touchdowns, which doesn't sound great, but Jackson also added 97 yards on the ground with 11 rushes. Uh, Dobbins led the way, 160 yards, two touchdowns, 13 rushes, and Baltimore churned out 404 rushing yards on the day. So the level of oof would be set to maximum there, although Davis Gaither did pick off Lamar Jackson for Cincinnati. The Bengals stats, <laughs> well, the Bengals did get 147 yards on the ground. It was led by Williams, 74, 51 for P. Ryan. Boyd has a rush with 11. He left early in the game. And Giovanni Bernard, three rushes, seven yards. 147 yards, 19 running plays for Cincinnati. Though the average does beat the Ravens. 7.7 yards per carry to 7.5, but uh, yeah, the yards <laughs> not even close. Brandon Allen, 48 yards, 2 picks, 6 of 21. And the rating is at 0.0. .0. I read somewhere that the Bengals broke a record for the first time ever in the NFL. Two quarterbacks had a 0.0, .0 ranking in the same season. So, Hurrah. Passing-wise, yeah, 48 yards. Not a lot to talk about. Uh, Carter led the way. 21 yards on his one catch, two targets. 15 yards on two catches, Drew Sample. Eight yards for Alex Erickson. Williams with three yards, one catch. One yard, one catch for Boyd. Remember, he had to leave early. That's your 48 yards. 
I told you I didn't want to talk about it, and Kevin Huber had to punt seven times. Yeah. Total yardage, 525 yards for the Ravens to Cincinnati's 195. Yeah. But kicking is not a harsh enough way to describe it. Now you know. <laughs> now you know why I didn't want to talk about it, but we talk about it because it's local sports. Funny that, a local sports anything should talk about local sports, not uh, talk about that team in Columbus exclusively, but never mind. So what is the future of Cincinnati? Well, if you're looking for Zach Taylor to hit the road, no, he's coming back for his third year. And like I mentioned, yeah, two wins better. And Zach Taylor finally picked up his first road win as a head coach at Houston. That was two weeks ago. I Did we talk about that at all? I think we did, but there we go. But there are going to be some changes on the coaching side of things. Looks like the coordinators are safe. Cal uh, Bill Callahan for the offense and Lou Amarillo for uh, Amarano, excuse me, for the defensive side. But five coaching vacancies to fill now for Cincinnati, all of them assistants. The organization made the decision. The organization made the decision. I thought I said decision twice there, so that's why I had to repeat it. To move on from five assistant coaches, running backs coach Jamal Singleton was not fired. He took the same role with the University of Kentucky Wildcats football team. So he's going down to the college ranks in Lexington. So best of luck down there. But who will not be coming back to Cincinnati and not have a new job? Well, they include the following. Offensive line coach Jim Turner. Wide receivers coach Bob Bicknell, defensive line coach Nick Eason, and we already touched up a little bit on Jamal Singleton, the running backs coach. He took a job with the University of Kentucky Wildcats program. So Lou Amarano is with Taylor for a third season. So there is some news. This is from James Rapine on uh, All Bengals Fan Nation on SI.com. And Zach Taylor is going to have the final say over the coaching staff. So, big job for Taylor. I mean, right now he's got six wins, one tie in his two years. So, there's a lot of people that were calling for his head. And, you know, I I still don't know what to think. The results aren't there. And I, I feel like Cincinnati should have done better than a five non-loss season. I mean, don't you agree with that? I, I feel like the Bengals just should have done better. Taylor's 6-25-1 overall. And he doesn't think with his track record that it would hurt the Bengals' pursuit to get quality coaches. There is an interesting name in the mix. And this is from Dario Maduk on Cincy Jungle, which is SB Nation. Jim Turner could be replaced by a former assistant of Mike Zimmer and Hank Fraley, the Detroit Lions offensive line coach. Now, when I saw the, the Detroit Lions line, I was like, ugh, they didn't really have a good year as well. And plus, since, what is it, 1958, the Lions have won a grand total of one playoff game. One. So, yeah, if you think... I mean, the Bengals, they haven't won a playoff game since 1990. And in fact, if I scroll down my timeline, because I decided to tweet that out, because I 
like pain, I guess. The total amount of days, which this is from uh, definitely a great Twitter account. I recommend going to follow them. Uh, Cincy Problems, that's C-I-N-C-Y Problems. It is now 10,959 days since the Bengals won the playoffs. And it was a 41-14 Bengals win against the Houston Oilers. The Oilers are now the Tennessee Titans. They're playing in the playoffs, and Derrick Henry looks superb. The defense for Tennessee is starting to look a little suspect. Uh, The secondary, and I think the pass rush was mentioned as uh, pretty bad. But, yeah, close to 11,000 days. And the Bengals are looking to break that streak in 2021. But, yeah, back to the story about Hank Fraley. Like I mentioned, he was an assistant for Mike Zimmer. Elise Jesse from Sports Illustrated reported that Turner with Nick Eason, defensive assistant Gerald Chapman, that's your fifth assistant gone, and Bob Bicknell would be let go even if Zach Taylor stays. Zach Taylor is staying, and those five are not. So Hank Fraley in town for the offensive line job. Dave Burkett on Twitter said he did a really good job with the Lions this season. Fraley's been in Detroit for the last three seasons, although this year was his first year as the top O-line coach. He was an assistant the previous two seasons. Also spent time with Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings from 2014-2016 and was the O-line coach for UCLA in 2017 before jumping back to the pro ranks. So... Lions are on the hunt for a new head coach, which means Fraley might not be on safe ground. Also, Frank Ragnow is a Pro Bowl center. Fraley helped develop him, almost a Cincinnati Bengal, but Ragnow has become one of the top players at center. So, hey, maybe Fraley can get that line working, and maybe they can, oh, I don't know, protect Joe Burrow when he comes back. The Lions improved in pass blocking and run blocking during Fraley's first year when he really only had Ragnow and Taylor Decker, the left tackle, to work with. So from Goodberry, Joe Goodberry on Twitter from just this morning, a PFF ranked the Lions 9th in pass blocking and 16th in run blocking. So run blocking, eh, middle of the road, but pass blocking, top 10, 9th, hey. I'll take that. ESPN had the Lions 20th in pass block and 14th in run block win rate. So, hey, I mean, seems like Fraley's done some magic up in Detroit. I mean, when you think of Detroit, you think Matthew Stafford and him getting hurt. and just He probably is one of the toughest football players out there. He Didn't he play several games with a broken rib? Now, I never had that, but let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like uh, it'd be a lot of fun. There's a lot of Bengals fans on Twitter that are calling for Willie Anderson as offensive line coach, which I, I don't know if Willie Anderson be interested, but think about it. I mean, he's a great Bengal. He deserves to go in the Hall of Fame. And I, I mean, I don't know if he would be interested in coming back to you know, Cincinnati to be a coach. But at the same time, I mean, hey. So Fraley looks like he's interviewing for the job. And 
back to the Cincy Jungle article by Dario Maduk, it would be a big hiring because Taylor made it very clear. Zach Taylor made it very clear. He's going to be the one to pick his own staff. And he's going to be the one to kick the staff out. So, Taylor and Turner are family. So that's definitely a uh, rough thing to do. You know, kick off your own family member from your team. I mean, hopefully they're still civil. I mean, at the Thanksgiving dinner table, you know, you got, you know, Turner, who's now out of a job, and Zach Taylor fired him, so. Yeah, so it's the end of the reign of Jim Turner, and possibly Hank Fraley could be making the trip down 75 to stay in the Queen City to be the O-line coach. I think that'd be a pretty good, I think that'd be a pretty good pick. I mean, again, if you're turning a center into a pro bowler, and you're working the line where PFF, again, ranked you in the top 10. I mean, pass rushing, eh, still a little suspect, but if he can get, I mean, the Bengals are in the bottom of the basement when we're talking about offensive line. You know, I, I don't even have to tell you. I don't even have to look to tell you that it, the big part of this season's failures were mainly offensive line. Now, Fraley comes in, he'll have a look, see what's on on the shelf for that line, and then he'll make the decisions. So, that leads us to the draft. I was fine with Cincinnati beating Pittsburgh. I really was. A rival game, Monday night football win, and you didn't move down. The Houston win surprised me because the Bengals slid down the fifth, and that's indeed where Cincinnati will draft this 2021. So, again, the Bengals are drafting fifth. And I actually don't know about spots three and four. Those are the ones that worry me the most. We go back to tankathon.com to look at the 2021 NFL draft order. And yes, the Bengals, 4-11-1, are one spot above the Philadelphia Eagles. Your top ten is Jacksonville, New York Jets, the Miami Dolphins from the Houston Texans trade. Man, you really got to be kicking yourself. You give up a pretty good offensive lineman in Tunsil, and now Miami gets two picks in this draft. Picks 3, 18, and I thought they had another one. No, I guess not. I thought they had the third one, but no, two first-round picks. That tells you. Yeah. So the Dolphins... Almost made the playoffs, but they were edged out. They're one of the uh, teams that got 10 wins, but had to sit out. It's a pretty entertaining year. So, I don't fully know what Miami needs. I think they're sticking with Tua. I mean, they have to. I don't know what's the situation with Fitzpatrick if he's coming back as backup, but I don't think quarterback's one of the needs Miami you know, really needs to focus on. I've saw somewhere where the Dolphins might look at a wide receiver. That'd be okay. Atlanta, like I mentioned, needs a little bit of everything. I mean, they're going to have to start fresh, new GM, new coach, new just about everything. I mean, even Matt Ryan might be shipped out of there. I mean, Matt, it's hard to believe that Matt Ryan started playing with the Atlanta Falcons when I was in college, and he's still with the team. I mean, even Julio Jones, which... I, I love, he's one of my favorite wide receivers in the National Football League, and 
I don't know. I don't know what Atlanta looks for. So I'm not worried about Jacksonville and the Jets because I feel like both of them will go for a quarterback. And I think Trevor Lawrence goes first. I I mean, New York Jets, they got rid of Adam Gase. I think that was the worst kept secret in the NFL. But now they're looking for a new head coach. And uh, yeah, the Jets have been through a few these uh, past few years I've been following sports. Again, Miami picks third, Atlanta fourth, and then the Bengals. 4-11-1. Now, the big thing is, again, we're on CincyJungle.com. This is from John Acre, and this is written yesterday morning, so it's a day old. So the Bengals have the five spot in the draft, and John Acre saying, just forget about Penny Sewell for the moment here. That's the big offensive lineman that, you know, is looking to go first from all the offensive linemen. I should say this year, not a lot of, you know, standout offensive linemen out there. But I really think that's what the Bengals need first pick. Pick someone that's going to anchor that line. Needed to be a strength of the Bengals. Then you got Burrow protected. You get the running game going. And, I mean, also... Uh, uh, not to jump ship on another topic, but anyone see that Mixon still led the Bengals in rushing, although Mixon hasn't played in the last mm, 10 games? Yeah. He led the team in rushing in six games and then sat out the rest of the year with that, what was it, foot injury? I think it was a foot injury. Those are pretty important for runners, you know, or in football altogether. So does Sewell last the four picks to get to Cincinnati at five. Again, I don't think he'll go one or two. Three and four is what worries me, and I worry what Miami's going to do. Atlanta, they there's so many ways the Falcons could go. So we'll see if the Bengals, you know, pick it. John Acre on Cincy Jungle is saying, why don't the Bengals just trade down to go to 12? So, the San Francisco 49ers are indeed looking for the quarterback of the future. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, great player, but uh, yeah, injuries can't stay off of him. So, maybe the 49ers say, hey, we'll play ball, we'll pick fifth, and you can have our first round pick, and then we'll throw in the second round pick for the bargain. Which, you know, extra pick for the Bengals. I mean, not sure, you know, who the Bengals would go for that round, but so if the Bengals do trade down. John Acre saying that Samuel Cosme out of Texas, six foot seven, three oh nine pounds, would be the fix at left tackle, a fixture at left tackle. And reminiscent of one Andrew Whitworth, you know, the guy that the Bengals should have signed to stay in Cincinnati, but instead he's in Los Angeles with the Rams. Sorry. Cosme stepped on the field straight out of high school and has started in all but one of the 35 games, which he appeared. A USA Today freshman All-American also received third-team honors on the Associated Press's 2020 All-American team. Starting left tackle for the Longhorns, he just surrendered one quarterback hit. In a season, I can allow just one quarterback hit because it happens sometimes. You can have the strongest line, and sometimes your defense slides in. Sometimes the defense is better than you. One sounds okay. 
One tackle for loss, one sack on the season, and one quarterback hit. Again, I think I can live with that on a year. Also, a unanimous first-team All-Big 12 selection, an anchor for an offensive line that helped Texas average 41.3 points per game and per play 6.36 yards. Also helped the Longhorns roll up to two 60-point games for the first time since 2005 with 18 rushing touchdowns this season as well. So, you know, if the Bengals do lose out of the Sewell round, Cosme's not a bad pick there. Now, second round, pick number 38, Aziz Ojulari. I think that's how you say that. O-J-U-L-R-Y. Apparently the best pure pass rusher in the draft. Lack of ideal size, but 6'3", 230. Pass rush. Yeah. Actually, the Bengals just need, you know... I'm going to say the Bengals need a little bit of everything except quarterback. And I wouldn't go wide receiver until late in the draft. I'm talking like fifth round. Although you are possibly having to replace A.J. Green. So maybe, maybe you look at that. So Ojolari led the Bulldogs of Georgia in sacks over the past two seasons and finished this year with nine and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, and 12 and a half tackles for loss, meaning he shared that a half tackle with someone for, like, dual tackle, you know. He doesn't get half a tackle. He's like, I tackled the air, but the guy went down anyway, so that's half. So Aziz Ojolari is a semifinalist for the Chuck Benaric Award, which goes to the nation's top defender, and as much as I hate to say it, he recorded three sacks and two forced fumbles in Georgia's Peach Bowl come-from-behind victory over Cincinnati. Oh, that's right. We got to talk about that, too, don't we? Yeah. Man, that was a bad weekend. Bearcats lost. That team in Columbus won. Act like you've been there. I'm sorry. And the Browns also won, and I got, you know, hatred. That's hatred in quotes, mind you. It wasn't hatred. It's good ribbing. That was a really rough weekend for me. Anyway, round two, number 43. The Ojolari pick would be if the Bengals did trade with San Francisco. So, not going to cover the rest. Well, I will, but we're not going to go in depth. Round two, number 43, would go to Rashad Bateman of Minnesota. Size, athleticism, and route running ability make an instant impression at the NFL level. Although the breakaway speed isn't the best. Location, tracking, and adjusting to deep balls. Excellent hands. This will be a wide receiver pick. So, yeah, maybe it is the end of the era for A.J. Green. So, again, I don't know if I would go wide receiver early. I'd say stack that line. Get as much offensive line you can. Get some defensive helping. You, it looks like Geno Atkins is out the door, too. Carlos Dunlap got traded in the season to Seattle. And... Yeah, like I said, both sides of the ball need help. Round three, pick number 69. <laughs> nice. From the University of Southern Cal, fight on. Jay Tufili, probably one of the most athletic defensive tackles in this draft. In his career at USC, Tufili, who opted out because of coronavirus this year, 
blocked kicks, disrupted pass plays, and had been an immovable force in the middle. I do not fault Tufili for opting out of the season. After all, coronavirus is a pretty bad thing, so I get that. I just worry with that year of rust. I mean, he, he probably stays in shape. It's not like he's just on the couch the entire year. But what I mean is, how does the one year off transfer back to the football field? Sounds like it'd be a pretty nice pickup for Cincinnati. I mean, we've done okay with USC picks. Carson Palmer had a pretty nice career until, you know, Mike Brown kind of teed him off. Uh, Ray Maluga, I still love that pick. And, you know, I thought he was a great player. And then just, yeah. Round four, pick 102, Thomas Graham Jr., a promising quarterback out of the University of Oregon, staying with the Pac-12. 5'11", 197, instinctive, versatile, and his ball production makes him a quality depth piece with starter potential in the cornerback ranks. Round five, pick 133, Given the Bengals' problems throughout the past couple seasons on the O-line. And it looks like John Acree says they'll go back to the trenches. Like I said, they should stay in the trenches until later in the draft. Stanford's Walker Little, if still available at the 133rd pick. 6 foot 7, 309 pounds. Might otherwise have a first-round grade, but there's a bad knee injury he suffered in 2019. And also opted out this year. So that's two years off the gridiron. Before the injury, Little was a strong run blocker. But also not a help in pass protection. So pretty much when you're expecting runs, put him on the field, pass, nah. He'll need some time before developing into a serviceable pro. I don't know if the Bengals really have a lot of time to give him, but we'll see. Round six. Number 166, and Carl Lawson is uncertain to come back to Cincinnati. And the Bengals really need help getting to the quarterback this past season. So the Bengals look to turn to Buffalo, and the Bulls, six foot three, two 248-pound Malcolm Kuntz in round six. He's improved his sack total every year for the Bulls and also tacked nine sacks in 2019, and earned a top 15 pass rush grade from po, from Pro Football Focus. And even with the shortened year, I think Buffalo had a couple games canceled. Still got three sacks. So, hey, might be a nice piece. Round 7, number 197, Indiana's tie, Fry Up and down year this year, three-game stretch in November, 25 receptions, 560 yards, six touchdowns. Once the starting quarterback went down with injury in two games in December, three catches, 45 yards. So with Burrow at the helm, I mean, hey, that might be a nice pick. And the last one, round seven, pick number 199. And this pick is from the Detroit Lions. And John O'Cree says, go back to defense with Kyrus Tonga, six foot four, 321 pounds. He finished the season with 200, the 2020 season, excuse me. He finished the 202 season. Wow, he's old. He's ancient. Must be good if he's still playing after a lot of years. In this 2020 season, 36 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and two and a half sacks, three quarterback sacks, five pass breakups, and a forced fumble. So, 
type of developmental project that Cincinnati craves. Maybe he's a nice pick. And that is the end of the draft list for Cincinnati. I still think offensive line has to be met up here. Get your holes fixed on the defense. Now, there's no reason why this Bengals team should be just at the bottom of everything. No. There's too much talent on this team. I know the AFC North is rough, but there's no reason why the Bengals should have another double-digit loss season in 2021. I just... Yeah. So Dave Lapham also has an idea about who should go in the offensive line coach spot. He's the color commentator for Cincinnati Bengals radio broadcast and possibly looking at AFC North assistant as well. Jim Turner's gone. We mentioned that a couple times. And a guy that the Bengals should look at, according to Dave Lapham, well, his actual quote is this. This is from Cincy Jungle again. Nick Manchester wrote this. Nick Manchester 9 on Twitter. A guy I would look at if I were the Cincinnati Bengals, Brian's that's Brian Callahan. Brian's dad, Bill Callahan, best offensive line coach in the NFL. He had to coach from home on Sunday for the Cleveland Browns thanks to the COVID-19 virus. And his assistant, Scott Peters, did as well. Scott Peters, Lapham says, is the expert in martial arts, hand fighting, those kind of things, and a young rising star. Dave might investigate because obviously Brian and Bill, they'd be able to basically tell each other Everything there is to know about Scott Peters and more. Brian can get you all the intel you need and want, and I think Scott Peters should be a guy they contemplate. Callahan's given the most credit for turning around the Browns' offensive line, which has several rookies in. When you got rookies protecting Baker Mayfield, then, you know, and you got a top-tier rushing offense going, you've done something right. That's what the Bengals need. Scott Peters, only one year of coaching experience, but he's an eight-year veteran at interior offensive line. Lapham also mentioned Frank Pollock, who coached the all-line in 2018. He wasn't maintained after Marvin Lewis was shown the door, and Zach Taylor brought in Jim Turner. Pollock's currently with the New York Jets, but remember, Jets are getting rid of Adam Gase, so he might be gone as well. One of Taylor's first hires was Ben Martin, who's been an offensive assistant working next to Turner. Some have pegged Ben Martin for the job, since Ben Martin's not going anywhere. Although Lapham says he doesn't think he has much of a chance. Whoever it is will have a huge impact this offseason as the Bengals desperately need to address the line of free agency and in the draft. I mean, we haven't even talked about free agency, which... I'm not entirely sure what's all on the table there for Cincinnati, but get some offensive line help, get a good offensive line coach, and there you go. You should have a better 2021 season, and I better not see Joe Burrow out for the year with an injury like that again. Protect your cornerstone of the franchise. And that's all about the Cincinnati Bengals. We are done with Cincy Talk. Until the upcoming year. Because, you know, Bengals aren't in the playoffs. So, yeah, that's just the Ravens game. I know the Ravens are good, and I know Lamar Jackson's good, but over 500 yards of offense? Really? How did you manage to stop the Steelers on Monday Night Football in Week 17, which is normally 
a strength for the Bengals when they don't make the playoffs and just get steamrolled. Yes, I know, the Ravens need to get in with a win. I get that, but make it competitive at least. 38-3. to Oh, my stomach hurts. So now it's time to talk about the Peach Bowl. I don't want to talk about this either, but uh, you know what? The Bearcats did play well. Give Georgia all the credit for coming back in the fourth. It was 21-10 after three. And then the Bearcats faltered. Yeah, I still think the ba- uh, the, the Bengals, excuse me, the Bearcats should have been picked for the playoffs instead of that school in Columbus, considering, uh, you know, that team in Columbus begged the uh, little 12 to uh, let them in. It's like, oh, well, we didn't play six, but we should be in anyway. And then they just bend to their will. It's like, really? So, yeah. Again, we're not uh, that team in Columbus podcast. If you want to listen to it, it's on wing pretty much all hours of the day and night. And I'm sure there's like a billion trillion Buckeye podcast where there's only like one Cincinnati and Dayton Ohio sports podcast. Oh, yeah, it's this one. Let's look at that box score. In Atlanta, Georgia, the Bearcats fall 24-21 to after Georgia scores 14 points in the fourth to win it. This game nearly lasted four hours, but then again, it's a bowl game, so what do I expect? We're going to go down to the stats, if I can find them on here. There we go. Desmond Ritter threw for 206 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, on 24 of 37 passing. You have JT Daniels, 26 of 38, 392 yards, a touchdown and a pick. For a second there, I thought Fromm was still at Georgia, and I don't know why. Whatever happened to Jake Fromm? Oh, well. Rushing-wise, the Bearcats, 152 yards on 27 rushes, and UGA, just 71 yards on 24 keeps. One rushing touchdown for Jerome Ford. Remember, the Bearcats didn't have their main guy, and Jerome Ford filled in pretty nicely. 98, 97 yards on eight rushes, whereas Zamir White, who led the Bulldogs rush, 39 yards, 11 rushes, one touchdown. On the receiving core for Cincinnati, two touchdowns through the air. Josh Weil with... A touchdown catch, 35 yards, three total catches. And Alec Pierce, three catches, 28 yards, and a touchdown. 59 yards, four catches, Michael Young. 28 yards, five catches for Jackson. 20 yards, two catches for Bruno LaBelle. On the other side, leading the way, leading all wide receivers with 135 yards, seven catches, and a touchdown, George Pickens. No other air touchdowns for the Bulldogs, but Arian Smith, 55 yards on his one catch. Three catches, 47 yards for Kyrus Jackson. D. Washington, 46 yards, three catches. And Kenny McIntosh, 43 yards, five rushes. Again, the Bearcats nearly gave up double the air yardage, 404 to 206. So, Georgia got it done. They got more first downs, 19 to 16. And rushing-wise, the Bearcats won that battle, 99-45. Passing-wise, Georgia won it easily, 404 to 206. And the Bulldogs got more yardage, 449 to 305. And again, it was in the hands of the Bearcats. And that third and two passing play, that'll live in the head of Luke Fickle for a very long time. But we can't look at this loss as, oh, the Bearcats don't belong. No, they do. 
And I think Luke Fickle's bringing in a better class next season. I mean, I can't wait to see what 2021 holds. Hopefully, we'll get back to some type of normal. Remember, the second-string quarterback is in the uh, transfer portal. I almost forgot what it is. It's Ben something. Looking through the roster. There's like five quarterbacks on here. I did not know that. You already gone? You might already be gone from this list. Look at that. There's also Jack Perry, Jake Sopko. But in a selfish aspect, Ben Bryant. That's who's in the transport portal. He is looking to leave Cincinnati. Evan Prater from Wyoming. I, I hope that you know he gets a shot. You know, one day after Desmond Ritter, you know, graduates. Although Desmond Ritter's got one more year. He's from St. Xavier and Louisville. And actually just looking through all the hometowns that Cincinnati football has, just seeing all these Cincinnati and Dayton spots, it makes me very happy. And you know what? Definite applause goes to Luke Fickle. We have great football in Southwest Ohio. If you don't recruit around here, then you're doing it wrong. So... That might be my personal opinion. That might be, you know, truth, but, you know, take it as it is. There's also a couple Columbus teams on here, too, which is nice to see. I see local, and my eyes just pop out of my head. I probably should go to the doctor to get that checked out, but pfft, I'll be fine for now. So, yeah, Bearcats lost a tough Peach Bowl, and that ends their season. So let's talk a little bit about college basketball. Yes, that's still going on, and we'll stick with the Bearcats. And talk about the 2-6 Bearcats, 0-3. Yeah, this has turned out to be a rough year for Cincinnati, to say the least. A very young squad, and just a lot of turnover from graduation. I mean, this isn't the year where the Bearcats are going to battle for the AAC title. It's just not. Bearcats coming off a 70-66 loss at home to Tulsa. And later today, this day recording January 7th, the Bearcats will visit SMU, then at Wichita State, and then home against East Carolina on January 13th. The Bearcats, with the East Carolina game counting at home, have a total of eight home games left. The last one is March the 4th, and then back to East Carolina March 7th to close out the regular season, and that's the American Athletic Championship. Like I said, young team, and I know John Brennan probably didn't expect this his sophomore campaign, but there are pieces here. We'll see what the class brings next year, but it's a lot of growing, a lot of gelling, and we got to see how the Bearcats bounce back next year. There was a game I was listening to, uh, Bearcats... Oh, what was that game? I'm going to be angry. Uh, Jeremiah Davenport, who was originally going to go to Wright State, now at UC, he had himself a game. And I'm trying to think what that game was. Let's look at his bio and find out. He's a Mueller Crusader. And let's look at his stats. That might help. Wasn't at Georgia, though that's his season high of 18. His minute high was 28 against Tulsa, which I think he'll be heavily leaned upon. He had uh, 14 points. It was the Tennessee game. That's right, because it was so close, and the Bearcats actually led for a time and then gave up the game late to the Volunteers. But the Volunteers, they're 
Are they in the top ten still? <laughs> I probably should know the rankings, but I, I don't. So, there you go. Not seeing a lot of local talent. There's a former Summit Country Day Silver Knight in Sam Martin. There's a Mola Crusader I mentioned, Jeremiah Davenport, but kind of a night and day difference. Basketball's good down here in Cincinnati Dayton, too, and there's only one Cincinnatian on the UC squad. Which, two, excuse me, and which I know that doesn't signal, you know, it's, you know, it's a better year if you got more Cincinnatians or Daytonians or what have you, but you know what I mean. It's a night and day difference where the Bearcats roster looks, you know, different than the football one. And yes, I know there's more spots to fill in football compared to basketball. You don't need to lecture me on that, but yes, it's a rough year for the men's basketball side for the women's basketball side. It's a bright new day with, you know, UConn going to the Big East. And the women's Bearcats are 2-6 and six and 1-3 and three in conference play. So another rough year. It's a rough year for both Bearcat hoop squads in 2020-21. And they're coming off a loss at home against Tulsa, 62-57. They will be back at home, the Bearcats will, Saturday the 9th at 2 against Tulane. And for the women's Bearcats... Seven home games remain, except no, six home games remain. The one against SMU was canceled because SMU had to cancel the season, which that uh, that sucks. Full stop. That really sucks. And But I, I, I'm not saying the decision sucks. I'm saying having to cancel season sucks. So now we move across the way. We talk about Xavier basketball. Men's team having a good year, although 0-2 start off Big East play. Uh, not so hot. Although the Musketeers, well, actually, I, I beg your pardon, 1-2. Because I thought it was 0-2 and then two straight wins. I got my things mixed up. Sorry, fans. The Musketeers, 9-2 on the year, 2-2 two two in Big East play, and 8-1 and at home sweet Cintas. Mentioned about the Crosstown shootout with Cincinnati. And that was still a great game played. In Big East play, the Musketeers have a home win. Actually, two home wins in the Big East against Marquette, 91-88. And just beating St. John's last night, 69-61. One home loss, it was to Seton Hall. As the Pirates won it, 85-68. And one road loss in conference play for the Musketeers. They fell at number 13, Creighton, 66-61. By the way, Creighton's in Omaha, Nebraska, in case you wondered. There's not like Creightonville or something like that. So what is next for the Musketeers? Well, according to the schedule, Providence is coming in. That was originally supposed to be in December as the Friars and the Musketeers now play January 10th. That's a Sunday at 11 a.m. And hopefully with my radio fix, I'll get to listen to that game. Hooray. And that will be at the Cintas Center at 11 a.m., and then the Musketeers have to wait a little bit. They'll head to South Orange, New Jersey to look for revenge against Seton Hall. Originally, the Musketeers were supposed to host Villanova Wednesday the 13th, but that got postponed. Apparently, Villanova is dealing with the strand of coronavirus. I mean, I, I, I sincerely hope these vaccines do work, and I sincerely hope we can get to some sort of normalcy with this. I don't know I say that each and every podcast episode, but, you know, it's true. I mean, really, 
look back, and most of the cancellations and postponement were due were due to nasty weather. This year, it's a virus that could kill, and it's just it, it's it's not fun to talk about. As we now talk about something fun, the women's basketball team of Xavier, they're 4-4 four and four overall and 1-3 and three in Big East play. Remember, UConn's in the league now, and that is the first Xavier loss in conference play. The Musketeers fell at number 3 UConn, 106-59. Hey, it's no longer Cincinnati's headache, it's now Xavier's headache. And UC, or not UC, excuse me, UConn still gets to travel to Cincinnati from time to time. I like it. The women Musketeers also fell at home to Marquette, 69-56. to Although the Musketeers closed out 2020 with a nice 64-50 win at home against Providence. And then Xavier fell at home to a close game against Creighton, 53-50. Well, the Musketeers women's team were supposed to play at St. John's yesterday, but that got postponed. And in fact, the next three games scheduled are postponed. The next one... For Xavier is listed for January 16th at 2 at Creighton. And then at Satan Hall that next Saturday. So that's your look at the Muskies. Musketeers, excuse me. Uh, I still don't like that nickname. I don't know. Musketeers, you know, you know what Musketeers are. But Muskies are a type of fish. So, you know what I'm saying. Let's head across the river quickly and talk about our first Horizon League team in the Northern Kentucky Norse. We'll start off with... Men's hoops. And afterwards, we'll talk about Miami, and then Dayton, then Wright State to close out this episode 198. The men, the Norsemen of Northern Kentucky, rather, 5-4, and 3-1 and one in the Horizon League. What does the Horizon League slate look like? Well, the Norse split the first series against Youngstown State. They won the first game the Norse did, 79-64, but then fell at home to the Penguins, 70-60. We're scheduled to play Oakland in Michigan after Christmas. That got canceled. And now the Norse have a doubleheader sweep against Purdue-Fort Wayne, one of two new teams to the Horizon League. First one was all Norse, 75-68. Second one was a little closer, but the Norse had another loss to the Mastodon, 70-68. What's on tap next for the Norse men's basketball team? A trip to first place Cleveland State. The Vikings are undefeated so far in Horizon League play, and I believe they have, what is it, a half-game lead over Wright State, or is it a full-game lead? We'll find out later. But, yeah, Cleveland State in Cleveland awaits the Norse next starting tomorrow, the 8th. And, again, remember, Horizon League play is two games at one place, meaning there's no home-and-home. Home. You play at Cleveland State, Cleveland State doesn't play at your place. That's how it works. And then the Norse are back at home January 15th against Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. By the way, if you do want to listen to the Norse, it is on local Cincinnati radio. The Friday Cleveland State game is on 1530. The Saturday game is on 55KRC. You know, I do like that Cincinnati, Xavier, and Northern Kentucky are on radio. The only thing that's a little bothersome is trying to figure out which channel it is. Which, first world problems. You know, you could have no radio coverage. But, there you go. Just 
make sure you are aware of that. And apparently, the second game against IUPUI will be on The Project, which is 100.7 and 106.3 FM. What is that, four different radio stations covering Northern Kentucky? And apparently that second one against UIC is not even on radio? Huh. Oh, don't tell me the second game against Wright State isn't on radio. Both of those games are on ESPN3, which I can't get. I don't have cable, but I'm going to listen to it on radio. You know, Chris Collins, Jim Brown, they do a great job, and uh, Jim Kelch does a great job with NKU. Is it Jim Kelch? Pretty sure it's Jim Kelch, but yeah, he does a nice job in Northern Kentucky. I like listening to him call basketball games, but I don't get to listen to much because normally Northern Kentucky isn't on a station I get pretty clearly in Dayton. And yes, I can listen to it online, but you get what I'm saying. Let's talk about the women, Norse. They're 4-0 in Horizon League play and 4-5 overall. So that means the Norse women started off 0-5 before picking up their first four wins. The Norse took down newcomer Robert Morris, 61-33, 62-50 at home, and then picked up a pair of wins in Fort Wayne against Purdue-Fort Wayne, 83-48, 80-63. So, the women Norse now have to wait a little bit because it looks like... God, this schedule's a mess. It looked like... Oh, I see what happened. So, originally, Northern Kentucky was supposed to travel to IUPUI, that got canceled. And apparently, the Norse were also supposed to play at home against Cleveland State. That got canceled, and that almost turned out to be a series or one game against Salem University, which is a non-Division One foe from West Virginia. That got canceled as well. Okay, so now the Norse women will be making another trip to Robert Morris. And then, coming into town January 15-16, Robert Morris... Oh, coronavirus, you mess everything up. But yes, so four wins for the Norse in Horizon League play, both sweeps against Robert Morris at home and Purdue Fort Wayne in Indiana. So that's your look at women's basketball. Now it's time to fly to the nest of Oxford. It's Miami Red Hawks basketball time. And you know what? For the next three teams we're talking about, we're going to start women's basketball. And yes, we'll talk about ice hockey for Miami. Because they picked up a couple nice wins as well. For the Red Hawks, they're 1-7, the women's basketball team are, and 0-4 in MAC play. Your MAC games are as follows. In the first battle of the bricks, the Red Hawks fall to Ohio at Millette Hall, 72-63. And they also fell to start off the year against Buffalo in Oxford, 75-67 couple road losses mixed in there. A 69-51 loss to Central Michigan to start conference play December 15th. And then one more road trip to close out 2020. A 71-66 loss at Bowling Green. What's next for the women Red Hawks? Well, they fly to the, univers yeah, the University of Akron. Not the... Whatever I said. My tongue got caught up. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, Miami's visiting Akron. That's Saturday, January 9th, and then back home Wednesday, January 13th at 5.30 against Eastern Michigan. Now time for Jack Owens' men's basketball squad. We pull up and see that the Red Hawks have yet to play a conference game, but they're 3-3 three three overall. And the last game that the Red Hawks played, you have to go back 
to December 19th. So, yes, a little bit of rust for the Hawks. They fell in a close one at Bradley, 69-68. And the game against the University at Buffalo at Millet Hall isn't in the conference record. So, I guess, yeah, they are on the schedule again. 90-62, Bulls won it easily at Millet. So, apparently, that does not count in the MAC record. And also... Some games got shuffled around. The non-conference games against Defiance College, which is a non-D1 foe in Northwest Ohio, and Bellarmine University, a brand-new Division I foe from Louisville. Those games are canceled, won't be made up. The conference games against Ohio, Bowling Green, and at Central Michigan are postponed, meaning they will try to make those up. No promises, though. In fact, the Red Hawks will face the Bobcats. They'll be at Athens, Ohio, however, on January 12th. Next game is listed for January 9th of 1 against Northern Illinois. And now we head to the Dayton Flyers. I got my first look of the women's basketball team this year. I run official replay. I should talk a little bit about that. As, yeah, normally I sit towards the the visiting bench side. But this year, it's a little different. I'm now towards the Flyers bench. Which, I mean, for me, I mean, I'm still on the court. So it's not like it's a big change. So I'm swapping sides. Woo, let's talk about it for an hour. Yes, let's. But, yeah, it's so weird. We don't walk in the tunnel anymore. We go in the West Concourse to get down to the press row, which is, I know, covid I know the changes. I'm not complaining about the changes. It's just, it's weird to see how sports have evolved to get a chance to play with the coronavirus, is all I'm saying. So the Flyers women's team had a lot of games canceled. And my first one watching the Flyers was the A-10 opener against St. Bonaventure, a game that the Flyers won 56-47. And then the Duquesne game was on CBS Sports Network. And the Flyers won at 64-48. That was a game where I thought the Flyers played better than against St. Bonaventure. I really thought that UD did a great job, you know, slowing down Duquesne and just frustrating them and getting physical in there. I thought the Flyers played well against Duquesne. And also in that broadcast, which with officials replay, if there's a national broadcast going on, I get that feed and I get to see what the broadcasters are talking about. Apparently, Duquesne hasn't had a home in Pittsburgh, like a permanent home, since they remodeled. I thought they were supposed to reopen that, but probably COVID threw a wrench in that. So, you know, we'll blame COVID on that. What's next for the women Flyers? Well, a trip to the Georges. Friday, we'll be at George Mason. That's in Fairfax, Virginia. And then Sunday, we'll be in our nation's capital at the Charles E. Smith Seat Center against George Washington. And then back home January 14th, a Thursday at 5 against the Davidson Wildcats. And then Saturday at 2 against Fordham. Hmm, I thought that was at 1. Hopefully that doesn't throw a big wrench into my plans because later that night, Tippecanoe goes to West Carrollton for WPTW. So yeah, busy day for me. But hey, it's good work. So yeah, I I still think the Flyers miss Jayla Scaife and the players they lost, but they still have a good core. I mean... Aaron Whalen, she does a nice job. Uh, Kyla Whitehead's still there. And, yeah, it's it's been interesting to see this year. But, like I said, I think the Flyers played better against the Dukes compared to the Bonnies of St. Bonaventure. But, 
Hey, 2-0 start for the Flyers. Can you really complain most? Can you really complain a lot about that? Let me tell you about the men's basketball side now. This loss literally made my jaw drop. And yes, I know, this Flyers team is not the same as last year. Obi Toppin is no longer a Flyer. He's with the New York Knicks, which I think he's coming back from in a heel or a foot injury, and he should be back with the Knicks Friday. But this Flyers team, 5-4. and Three overall, one and two in conference play. And those two losses, <clears throat> home against LaSalle, Fordham. Yeah, I said what I said. LaSalle, Fordham. Those are teams that are not mentioned near the top of the Atlantic 10. And in fact, as I pull up right now, we'll talk about the net, which is the rankings that NCAA goes by nowadays instead of... Uh, RPI, let me tell you where Fordham finishes. And then we can also look at LaSalle, too. It's not great. I have to uh, hold my tongue right now because I will tell you in the first net rankings released this week on January 4th. Oh, in fact, there's so much cheering going on. Thank you, NCAA, for not muting your video. Thanks for that. I thought I had that canned, but I guess I didn't. The Fordham Rams are fourth from the bottom. 337th out of 340 teams. Granted, Fordham is 0-2, and the other teams in this bottom are 0 Denver's 0-8, Delaware State's 0-5, skipping Fordham because we already mentioned. South Carolina State is 0-12, Chicago State, which already canceled the season, 0-9, which actually, we got an interesting point to talk about Chicago State. Thank you, me, for bringing that up. And Mississippi Valley State is 0-9. Fordham, 337th out of 340 teams, beat the Dayton Flyers. Was it a close game? Yeah, 55-54, but when you lose to a team fourth from the bottom, alarm is ringing and it hasn't stopped. By the way, LaSalle is middle of the pack, 150 out of 340, which is a little bit more. It's a little bit better than half, but yeah, LaSalle's okay. They're not going to rock the world, but the Fordham loss? Oh... It hurt my stomach just to... I got to look at the box score. That's how bad this loss was. Before I forget, the Flyers did pick up their A-10 win against George Mason, a team that I I think is pretty decent, pretty good. And it's 74-65 Flyers winning at UD Arena. But the Fordham loss. Oh. Oh. UD's got Davidson on the road at Belk Arena tomorrow at 9 p.m. 9 p.m.? Really? And then back at home against Duquesne, January 13th, Wednesday at 7, back at UD Arena. And again, getting my radio installed tomorrow, that means I'll be able to listen to the broadcast again. Fordham. Just, oh, I know a lot of Flyer fans weren't happy as well. The Flyers had a three-point lead at the half, 27-21, but then Fordham scored four more points to take the one-point victory away. Crutcher finished the game with 14 points. Mustafa Amzel, who's 
done a really nice job. People are really impressed with him. Ten points in the game. Seven points for E.B. Watson. And that's most of your 54 there. For Fordham, 20 points for Chris Austin. Kyle Rose, 11 points. Nine points for Josh Navarro. Shooting-wise for the Rams, 20 of 45 on the game and 50% from beyond the arc. The Flyers, 41.9% field goal-wise from three, four of 23. So, yeah, that doesn't help much. I'm going to look at the turnovers, too. 17 Flyer turnovers to 14 Fordham turnovers. When you're shooting that ice cold from the three, you can't turn the ball over that much. Yes, I know it's only three better than Fordham, or three worse than Fordham. But at the same time, ugh, just that loss. Just I hate to keep harping on it because then people are going to compare me to 14-10 saying that I'm a flyer hater, which I'm not. Just this loss is, ugh, ugh, it's bad. Oh, by the way, before that loss, Dayton was 111th in the net. We'll actually keep this up and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And again, I mentioned back home Wednesday the 13th against Duquesne on the road at Davidson, January 8th at Belk Arena. And now time to talk about my alma mater, Wright State University, the green and the gold. And I think both teams are faring pretty well. And there's already changes in the schedule for Wright State. Let's look at that first. The Horizon League announced Wednesday that IUPUI Northern Kentucky and UIC RMU women's basketball games scheduled have been canceled. Colonials will now host NKU. In addition, the Wright State IUPUI series scheduled for the 15th and 16th have been canceled. And right now, it does not say if Wright State will get to make that up. The announcement follows previously announced information regarding UIC's program in addition to a positive COVID-19 test and contact tracing within the IUPUI program under the Horizon League protocols. Wright State still remains scheduled to travel to take on Cleveland State this weekend on the road with both games scheduled for a 1 o'clock tip and both on ESPN+, Plus, which is nice. I have ESPN+, Plus, so... If I'm not busy, I'll probably watch it. Oh, wait, I will be busy. That's me. I'm Lee W. Mallon. I'm never not busy. The Raiders are 5-3. and three. The women's Raiders are, and 5-1 and one in conference play. That's pretty dynamite. The one loss was to Oakland. And, by the way, that loss to Oakland, first time since 1989 that the Golden Grizzlies have beaten the Raiders. In fact... You want to go back further? They weren't the Golden Grizzlies back then. They were the Oakland Pioneers. And Wright State had the Viking mascot. The Viking Raider mascot, I should say. So, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, that last win for Oakland, I would have been one and a half. Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have remembered it, so don't ask me. The Raiders have series sweeps against Detroit Mercy on the road and Youngstown State on the road. The Penguins series, the Raiders won the first game 70, excuse me, 57-53, and the second game 54-39. The Raiders won the Detroit Mercy series 75-55 and 73-43, and then splitting with the Golden Grizzlies, a much better second game for the Raiders, 74-49, but then Wright State fell the first game 75-69. So, like I mentioned, 
Cleveland State awaits the Raiders in Cleveland. And then the home series against IUPUI is canceled. Who's coming in? I don't know. But then Moon Township, Pennsylvania awaits the women Raiders January 22nd, 23rd with Robert Morris hosting Wright State. And then the Raiders will be back at home, scheduled to be back on home, to close out January against the University of Illinois at Chicago. Now it's time to talk about the men, and then we'll quickly wrap through the standings, and then we'll talk about Chicago State, like I mentioned. Yes, Chicago's now in Cincinnati Dayton, in case you didn't know. The men Raiders are 7-2 and two and had an eight-game winning streak before falling for the first time in a while. They're 5-1 in league play as well. The Raiders have swept Detroit Mercy on the road, 93-70 and 85-72. Green Bay at home, 67-53, 90-77, and then split with Oakland. Why has Oakland been the team to split with Wright State both times? Weird. 90-51, and then falling, 81-71. So what's next for the Raiders? Well, they have Youngstown State coming into the Nutter Center Friday and Saturday. Saturday's game's at 3. And then Cleveland State comes in to the Nutter Center January 15th, 16th. So North East Ohio visits Wright State. Awesome. Then the Raiders will hit the road to IUPUI. So now let's start with the Horizon League. We're talking about Wright State after all. Then we'll look at the net rankings. And then we'll talk a little bit more about Chicago State. It's... Uh, it's talking about expansion of the Horizon League, not, you know, anything you know, Chicago State done. So let's talk about the standings. I mentioned Wright State with the split to Oakland on the road. That gives Cleveland State the lead in the Horizon League, 6-0. and And the Vikings are 6-3 and as well. UIC is listed as second place, but the Flames are only 2-0 and in the league play, meaning the percentage Leapfrogs Wright State, that's why. And 5-2 and two are the Flames. So who has Cleveland State beat in their six conference wins? They swept Youngstown State in Cleveland, and they swept IUPUI in Indianapolis. And also swept Purdue-Fort Wayne in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Youngstown State, I think they're having a tough start to the year. I thought Youngstown State would be, you know, doing a little bit better, but... IUPUI, Purdue-Fort Wayne, they're picked to finish at the bottom. So this is going to be the toughest test for Cleveland State. Wright State coming in. Well, actually, Wright State hosting the Vikings. The women Vikings host Wright State, and that's this weekend. But first, Norfolk, Kentucky comes in, and they're kind of on a roll. So that will be Cleveland State's first test, and then they visit Wright State. So that's why Cleveland State is on top. No excuses, just saying what Cleveland State's done. I don't like making excuses. I don't like, you know, complaining about stuff. Cleveland State 6 and 0, UIC 2 and 0, Wright State 5 and 1, Norfolk Kentucky 3 and 1, Milwaukee 2 and 1, Robert Morris 2 and 1. Wait a minute, 2 and 1. That means the second game of the series probably got canceled. Oakland is 3 and 3, Youngstown State 2 and 4, Purdue Fort Wayne 1 and 5, Green Bay 1 and 5. Ooh, who did Green Bay beat? Must have been that last series. IUPUI 0-2, Detroit Mercy 0-4. So who did Green Bay beat? Out of curiosity. They beat Youngstown State on the road 79-69. Okay. Now we look at the women's basketball standings, which are right here. Milwaukee 6-0, IUPUI 6-0, Norva Kentucky 4-0, Wright State 5-1. Not bad. 
Green Bay is 2-2. Two and two. So it looks like Milwaukee's at the top of the women's basketball pyramid again. When I was in college, Milwaukee and Green Bay were the top, and normally it's a dogfight to determine if it's Phoenix or Panthers that get the title. And the Panthers played Oakland, beat them twice. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Green Bay. Green Bay beat Oakland twice on the road, but fell at Milwaukee both games. Well, the first game was a three-point loss at Milwaukee, 61-58. The second one, 59-51. So, yeah, Milwaukee might have themselves quite the team. So after Wright State's 5-1 mark, it's Oakland 3-3, Clayton State 2-2, Green Bay 2-2, UIC 1-3, Detroit Mercy 1-5, Youngstown State 0-2, and Robert Morris and Purdue-Fort Wayne 0-6. By the way, YSU just started their season with that series against Wright State, but Robert Morris and Purdue-Fort Wayne are winless on the season as well. In fact, their season began with conference play. Milwaukee is 9-1. I'd like to see Milwaukee's schedule, please. 9-1 9-1 is pretty good. Tough loss at Bowling Green, that's all. The Panthers have played Ball State at home, at Bradley, at Marquette, at Bowling Green. That was the only loss. And then beat Green Bay on the road twice. Robert Morris at home twice. Detroit Mercy on the road twice. And are scheduled to host Purdue-Fort Wayne. So there we go. I'm glad I looked at that. Back to the Atlantic 10 we go. We'll start off with women's basketball. Oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was talking this long. You might say I wanted to do this podcast today. I don't know. You might also say this is the only day I could done my podcast because I am swamped with events. I have been one busy broadcaster, but this is what I want. I always want to be busy. Also, looks like Chris Mooney of Richmond picked up his 300th win with the Richmond Spiders. Well, actually, was it with the Richmond Spiders or was it in his career? I didn't realize how long Chris Mooney's been at Richmond. Oh, Division One head coach. Okay, so Mooney picks up his 300 win as a D1 head coach. Congrats to him. So standings look like this. In the Atlantic 10, VCU 2-0. 9-2 are the Rams. St. Bonaventure 2-1. Richmond 2-1. Davidson 2-1. LaSalle 2-1. George Washington 2-1. Rhode Island 2-2. UMass 1-1, Dayton 1-2, George Mason 1-2, excuse me, not Duquesne, it's Duquesne 1-2, Fordham 1-2, St. Louis yet to play in the A-10, but they're 7-1 overall, and St. Joseph's 0-8 overall, 0-3 in league play. You know, the A-10's always fascinating to me, just how many schools are in there. There's 14 schools, right? Right. It's just fascinating how, you know, how big of a roller coaster it is. It's always fun to watch from the side. Uh, VCU, not really a big surprise. I mean, I think I've asked this long ago for Flyer fans. Do you consider the St. Louis series, like the St. Louis rivalry better, or VCU? Because lately I feel like VCU, no disrespect to SLU, but I feel like VCU's always given Dayton, you know, really good contest. No matter what sport it is. So it's always been fun to see that. Uh, George Washington 2-1. and one. It's nice to see them start to kind of come back from the basement. St. Joseph's 0-8. Oh, they, they've fallen on hard times. I mean, what was it, last year, two years ago, they got rid of their head coach that's been around since the 90s, the mid-90s. So yeah, trying to build that up. It's, 
Dayton in the middle, that Fordham loss still just stings me, and I hate to keep harping on it, but... Ugh. Now we look at the women's basketball side of things. As we wait for the page to load, we'll tell you that Fordham, Dayton, and Davidson are on top, 2-0. VCU not far behind at 1-0. UMass, Rhode Island, 2-1. Duquesne, 1-1. St. Joseph's and St. Louis yet to play, although both the Hawks and the Billikens are 2-0 in overall records. Richmond, 0-1. George Washington, 0-2. LaSalle, 0-2. George Mason, 0-2. St. Bonaventure, 0-2. And that's your standings. Dayton currently on top. The Fordham Rams have the better overall record, 5-1. Davidson has played more games at 5-3. And, and Dayton is 3-1 overall. So it'll be interesting to see. I thought Fordham lost, uh, what, was, what was her name, Bree Cavanaugh? She was an amazing player. I thought she graduated last season. I could be wrong on that. I think we see Fordham later on in the year. I say that with... Uh, no uh, real standing on that. Like I said, if I don't have my calendar in front of me, I don't know what I'm doing broadcast announcing-wise. How about some action? Sounds great. Let's talk about standings, if I can ever find them. This page is really colorful. A lot of pictures and everything. That, oh, the menu button's on top. Hmm, that sounds like a great place for it. Sorry, everybody. So let's look at the max standings for women's basketball. It starts off with a 4-0 record for Bowling Green. Bowling Green basketball doing some work for men's and women's. We'll talk about that next. Buffalo 4-0, Central Michigan 4-0. Central Michigan's always been a great team. Buffalo, I think they've been a pretty good team as well. Kent State 3-0, Ball State 3-2, Toledo 2-2, Ohio 2-2, Northern Illinois 1-2, Eastern Michigan 1-3, Akron 0-4, Western Michigan 0-4, and finally, Miami, 0-4 and 1-7 overall. How about some men's basketball standings action for you? I think Bowling Green's in the top two. That Wright State-Bowling Green game, I was really, really surprised to, to see how well Wright State shot in that game. Falcons did come back a little bit, but you know, Wright State... Just really hammered on through. And yes, I was right. The Falcons are 5-0. Bowling Green on top of both men's and women's standings in the MAC. Impressive. 9-2 overall are Bowling Green. Their one loss was to Wright State. Toledo, 4-0. 9-3 overall are the Rockets. Akron, 2-0. Ball State, 2-1. Ohio, 2-2. Buffalo, 1-1. Western Michigan, 1-2. Central Michigan, 1-3. Miami, 0-1. So wait, does that Buffalo game count then? On the Red Hawks website, it says it wasn't a league game, but yeah, I guess it counts. So Miami 0-1, Eastern Michigan 0-2, Kent State 0-3, Northern Illinois 0-4. Now let's look at Big East standings. I believe I covered Horizon Link. I said Northern Kentucky. I'm trying to go back and remember my memory is bad when I'm talking about uh, stuff like that, especially when I go off the script. How about women's basketball for Big East? You want to take a guess who's leading? Have you guessed yet? UConn. Number three, UConn. 5-0 in the Big East. Their first year back with the Big East. And women's basketball still doing a great job. I, I tell you, Coach Coach Gene does a great job of that program. 6-0 are the Huskies overall. Marquette, 3-0. DePaul, 3-1. Villanova, 3-2. Georgetown, 1-1. 
Providence two and three, Creighton two and three, Seton Hall one and two, Xavier one and three, and at the bottom St. John's zero and three, and Butler zero and three. Butler was pretty good in Horizon League. They were close to the top, never on top of the pyramid, but they gave some good fights out. Let's see him on the bottom, just I know Butler was Wright State's biggest rival, but seeing him on the bottom just kind of hurts. But I will tell. Why did I look at baseball? My mind's telling me this cold sucks. Warm it up already. Let's talk about basketball. Did I see that right? Was there only six teams in the standings? Seven teams. Okay. Wow, I didn't realize there were that few baseball teams in the Big East. That's kind of sad. How about some standings in Big East for men's basketball? Villanova, Jay Wright. Doing work again, 3-0. 8-2 are the Wildcats. Creighton not far behind, 5-1. Seton Hall, 6-2. Providence, 4-2. UConn, 2-1. Xavier, 2-3. 2-3, what? Should be 2-2. Two two. Did I not say Xavier was 2-2? Two two? I said 2-2. Two two. What was the third loss? There's St. John's. They won that. We talked about that. Seton Hall's on there twice. What? Seton Hall's literally on there twice. Okay, so Xavier is 2-2. Two and two. They just didn't... It was originally scheduled for December. They didn't... Okay, so... <laughs> Xavier's two and two, Butler two and three, Marquette two and four, St. John's one and four, Georgetown one and five, DePaul zero oh and three. And lastly, how about some AAC standings? Sounds great. As we look at American Athletic Conference basketball, men's and women's, and we'll start off with the men's side. Houston and Tulsa co-lead the AAC four and one overall. The Cougars and the Golden Hurricane. SMU 2-1, Wichita State 2-1, Memphis 2-1, South Florida 2-3, East Carolina 1-2, Tulane, oh, excuse me, Tulane 1-2, UCF 1-2, Temple 0-2, and, and Cincinnati 0-3 at the bottom of the standings. Oh, I knew it was going to be a, a youthful year, but the bottom of the standings, ow, that hurts. Oh, that hurts so much. Now women's side. And, no, okay, that's being melodramatic. I'm not hurting because since he's at the bottom, but still. Can you imagine a Bearcats team at the bottom of the standings? I can't. Women's side, no UConn to worry, so USF will take the crown so far. 5-0 are the Bulls. 3-0 are the Golden Knights. Temple is 3-0. East Carolina, 3-2. Tulane, 2-2. Houston, 2-2. Tulsa, 1-3. Cincinnati, 1-3. Wichita State, Memphis, 0-3, SMU, they finish 0-2. Remember, they're done for the year. And now let's look at men's basketball net. I told you Dayton was 111. Wright State is 80th and the top team in the Horizon League. So I, I'm proud of what Wright State has done. Scott Nagy is a great coach, and uh, yeah, that loss to Oakland eh, wasn't great, but you know... What he's done with this program, it's pretty nice. We'll stick with Northern Kentucky or Northern KY. They're 216th. 216th in the net, not 216th. That wouldn't make sense. Uh, Cincinnati 
is not pulling up on my search. Thanks for that. Two and six and 142nd in the net. Xavier on the other side is 46. I think they're the highest local team in the area. And that should give us Miami, who is 235th. And that's your six local teams in Cincinnati and Dayton. And your number one team in the net, Gonzaga, 10-0. Baylor, Tennessee, Illinois, Villanova, Michigan, Iowa, Houston, Texas, Missouri. Your top ten. And I think that'll do it for college basketball until we talk about Chicago State University. Now, Chicago State is in the Western Athletic Conference. And most of these schools are in the western part of the United States, mostly California. And Chicago State is, yes, the eastmost team in the WAC. So, yeah, you figure out how travel works. It doesn't work quite well. So, there is a rumor. Ooh, a baseball season thread. Excuse me. There is a rumor that Chicago State is talking to a couple other conferences to kind of get out of the WAC. By kind of get out, I mean get out of the WAC. So, I, Chicago State, like I said, their men's team closed up shop for the year. Coronavirus. They were winless, and they were towards the bottom of the net. Not quite the absolute bottom, but uh, I think they were one spot above it. So, the Horizon League is one of the schools that Chicago State is talking to. The other one is the Ohio Valley Conference. In terms of uh, geographical fit, yeah, I mean, Chicago State, UIC, give us two Chicago teams again. However, if you're looking at uh, expansion, you better add a second team or else you're going to throw things off unevenly again. Like you're going to have one more team in the West compared to the east side of the Horizon League. Sports-wise, however, <laughs> I told you the men's basketball team is 0-9 and 339th out of 340 D1 schools. And the men's basketball team's not playing anymore. And Chicago State also got rid of baseball. Chicago State had, uh, I think, most of the D1 sports, but they got rid of baseball last year, and it was mostly thanks to coronavirus. And also, they wanted to put up a men's soccer team instead of baseball, which, you know, hey. Uh, Chicago State is, from what I understand in the Chicago market, probably not a school covered much. Now, of course, I'd have to say DePaul is the big one there in the Big East. You got Loyola and the Missouri Valley, UIC, of course. Uh, Northwestern, I take that back. Northwestern is the bigger one. How did I not remember Northwestern? I don't know, because it's weird. You're Northwestern, but yet you're not in the Northwest. Never mind. So, yeah, there are five D1 teams in Chicago. There's also University of Chicago. They're in D3. They're the Maroons. And I'm sure there's ton more schools in Chicago that I don't know about. So, travel-wise, yeah, that would probably be nice for Chicago State. Athletics-wise... Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, Horizon League's net record hasn't been great the past few years. So, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to sound like a big snob, 
But I don't know if Chicago State be a good fit for the Horizon League. And here's why. Yes, they're in Chicago, so, you know, travel. You're already going to Chicago anyway, see UIC, so, you know, there's that. But just, I don't know. I, I'm trying to find, there we go. No, this ain't it either. This is not what I want. There's a thread on the Wright State uh, Pro Boards, wrightstate.proboards.com, which is the main message board for Raider fanatics like myself. Am I searching Chicago State? Because the thread's not on there. I hope they didn't get rid of it because someone was being, you know, a dip. And, you know, ah, here we go. Horizon League expansion. This is what I'm looking for. So, Chicago State did have meetings with the OVC and the Horizon League, as I already mentioned. So, they start talk. There's a video shared by Freewind on this thread. There's a video about 14 minutes in. They're talking about, you know, possibly moving conferences and, you know, for the fall. So, Chicago State is looking to jump. And there's a lot of people on the thread saying, no. I also know baseball, which that broke my heart because I knew Chicago State had baseball, but uh, they got rid of it. Uh, the big thing is the Cougars of Chicago State, this, there's not a lot of sports that the Cougars are like outstanding in. Facilities, eh. And sports spending, eh. So I will say Chicago State is named one of the best pharmaceutical uh Schools you can go to in Chicago, I will say that. Well, around the area, I should say that, Midwest. Um, but yeah, I, if Chicago State does spend money on athletics and the Cougars do better and they're competitive, you know, fine, maybe talk about that. But yeah, this hasn't been updated since... December 23rd, when it's talking about Chicago State suspending the men's basketball program for the season. But most fans would like to see Southern Indiana or Bellarmine. Southern Indiana is in Evansville, which to travel, Southern Indiana wouldn't be bad. I mean, the farthest way one, would that be Robert Morris or would that be Green Bay? I don't know. But good facilities for Southern Illinois and Bellarmine, especially since Bellarmine's playing at Freedom Hall, you know, where the Louisville Cardinals played all those years. I mean, yes, they're brand new to D1, but look at Northern Kentucky. They thrived since going D1, and I can't really name a sport where uh, baseball's kind of went down a little bit, but uh, all the other sports, I think, the Norths have been competitive in. So... So, again, Chicago State looking to jump to the Horizon League or the OVC. I, I'm surprised they didn't try the Summit League, honestly. Although, I'm trying to think, is Southern Utah still in there? Meaning, you know, travel is still kind of ridiculous. You have North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State. Uh, Denver, which, yeah, I mean, travel-wise, it, it's... Would you rather go to Pittsburgh or would you rather go to Denver? Personally, I'd rather go to Denver just because I've never seen the mountains. No offense, Pittsburgh. But, so there you go. I mean, expansion never ends. So, look for that issue to keep thriving as we go on the year. 
So that wraps up episode 198. I was going to talk a little bit about what I expect for 2021. I mean, right now we still have sports, thank goodness. And <laughs> yours truly has been super, super busy. So definitely, definitely follow along at the Lee W. Mowen and Sunday Pod 2. And don't forget, we are planning to do... I don't know why I keep saying we. I'm doing all the work. I'm planning on doing a Mowen's Mailback episode for the special 200th, whenever I get a chance to record that this month. So send in your questions. Send them in now. So that'll wrap things up. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year to one and all. And it's always great to talk local sports with you. I do appreciate the listenership, the friendship, and any support you can do to help out the podcast. Local sports, not on wing, not on 980. It's on the local Sunday sports podcast. We'll talk to you again for episode 199. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time. <laughs>